0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and I personally am totally pumped about this episode. My guest is Kira Lancaster, and she thinks it's time to reimagine change. Never has there been a time like our time, right now unprecedented events through our communities, businesses, and our personal lives. And our old way of thinking about change just ain't gonna cut it. Kira draws on a bunch of wonderful thinkers through her books and overlays it with her own experiences and observations. This one is a real treat. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kira Lancaster. Kira Lancaster, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast.
0: Hi, David. Thanks so much for having me today.
1: Look, it's my pleasure to have you. As I talked about before we hit record, this is a topic that is so close to my heart, so close to the work that I do. Change management, understanding change, helping organizations guide themselves successfully and in a really healthy way through change. It's a beautiful cause, I think, especially in our day and age. And you've done a terrific job with your book. So, If this conversation is anywhere near as enlightening as your book, then our listeners are in for a booming time. I don't know about you, Kira, but I think there is no better natural home for leadership than in the space of change. Change is where leadership really steps up It has all of the challenges and the rewards that you want when you pursue and think deliberately about the way that you lead the people around you and, more importantly, lead yourself. I think change is the natural home of leadership. What do you think?
0: Well, definitely. I mean, what once was the role of an individual change manager or a change leader or potentially someone from HR it is now the role of every individual across an organisation. So we're no longer thinking it's just led from the top, from the number one leader, but rather there is now a trend that it is all about co-creation and involving everyone to make sure that we're all singing from the same hymn book, as they like to say.
1: Now, I have, as I read your book, I've written down a million questions and a million things that I I wanted to talk about. But I, I think the best way for us to do that is to go through the. These two really important chunks of thinking that you've done in your book, and we'll weave in the magic through those really solid concepts. The concepts that we're talking about are the the human change state. So, the different things that we'll experience or individuals will experience in a changing environment. And then, of course, there's the six R's that relate to your reimagined change concept. And we're going to take on The really difficult task of bringing to life something that is like a a theoretical concept. You know, you can listeners would have imagined what I've just talked about there—the human change states. It comes in a beautiful model. There are four zones and eight behaviors. So it's a real challenge for us not to get bogged down in the detail. But Kira, I think from reading your book, you're up for that challenge. So let's do some magic for the listeners and and bring those concepts to life without me having to. Ask you some really boring questions because I think you'll do an awesome job of bringing that to life. Let's start off with the human change states. These are fascinating. You know that I love what you did with this. You talked about there are eight different states in within four zones, and you know there there are a whole bunch of ideas. People who have tried to map out the different reactions to change, but yours has a really useful depth about it. Before we get into these change zones, tell us how you landed on this and what sort of experience it took from you and your career to get here.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, David. I guess for me, uh, I've always been really fascinated about human behavior, and it started right early in my career when I worked in media sales and strategy for the first decade. And obviously, um, I watched traditional media companies go through that digital disruption much earlier than a lot of other companies. And during that time, we witnessed very early stage business transformation and change management, often done quite visibly and quite poorly. And I think once you see something or you witness something and it really touches your heart about the lack of compassion shown towards employees being made redundant very publicly, something really struck a chord in me that something had to change. So, That was the first thing, witnessing that, and um, it led me to actually- Change had
1: to change.
0: Exactly, and I wanted to be either part of the problem or part of the solution. So by nature, I'm very curious and I'm a lifelong learner. So I found myself back at uni uh, at UNSW studying change management. And, you know, I had a six-week-old and a two-year-old underfoot, and the best part was I absolutely loved the content. I knew I had found my sweet spot, and from there I went and worked With Deloitte and you know, there are some brilliant minds in there and some brilliant methodologies, which was fantastic to be exposed to. But one of the best parts of the role, and it's a real privilege is that when you're a change manager, you get to conduct a lot of change leadership interviews. And one really key part there is about building the trust with the leaders and learning about their vision for their business and their team and also getting to know them where they strip away that bravado and start to be very vulnerable and share their experiences of change that has gone well in the past and perhaps isn't going quite so well in the present. So for me, that really was a fantastic exposure into the human behaviour and the psychology side of it, particularly when my catchphrase, the question I kept asking every leader was, what's keeping you up at night? And often they wouldn't respond with anything to do with culture change. It was really to do with that emotional turmoil they themselves were experiencing. And also they were watching their team suffering from the additional change expectations that were put on top of their day-to-day workload. So I think that's where it all started. That really made me want to dive deep into the mindset side of things. And I went away and did a little bit more study to find that piece of the puzzle, which I did through neuroscience and more psychology and neurolinguistic programming. And that's when I pulled together the book. And I particularly wanted to start off that first chapter by talking about what I call the human change states.
1: And it's a really strong book because you bring your brand to it. You bring your reimagined change language and your concept of the six R's and the human change states, but you also draw on a treasure trove of concepts and theories and models from some of the most respected thinkers to explain. Your ideas, and I love that. The you know you draw on things like Daniel Kahneman's Thinking, Slow and Fast, the hierarchy of needs. You draw on breakthroughs in neuroplasticity, and I love saying that because I now can say that word without stumbling. (laughs) And 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 Martin Seligman's PERMA model, and a lot more. I I love the way that you balance that in the book. All right, I'll stop plugging your book. I don't normally plug a book quite so hard, but it, it is fantastic. That's the beautiful thing about the world of change is that it has a reputation. On every point of the spectrum, from awful and life ruining to incredible and organisation flourishing, and everything in between. You know, the the change done badly can literally keep human beings awake at night. And that, as a change leader, that's the thing that I never forget. I never forget that in everything we're organising within organisations, all the things that we're doing to try and implement change. The people that we're working with are human beings who go home to a family and a life outside of work. and The last thing we want to do is keep them awake at night, is to negatively impact their work outside of life or their life outside of work. We want to do the opposite. We want to give them a job that allows them to grow and flourish in an organization that has a sustainable future because it's able to keep up with things that are changing. It's able to keep serving its customers. So. That's what I love about change. It's hugely challenging. Let's get to it now, Kira. Let's talk about these human sure. change states. We, you talk about there being four zones. I'll give away the four zones, and then I would love it if you could talk us through them and the, the two change behaviors that exist within each of those zones. The zones are these. Number one is status quo. Number two is overwhelm. Number three is growth. And number four is burnout. Burnout. Let's start with status quo. Tell us about the the two behaviours that exist there.
0: So the two behaviours that exist in the status quo zone are what we call change oblivious. So this is someone who is very comfortable being completely unaware of what's going on around them. They're very insular. They're very focused on their tasks and their to-do list and not really involved with the betterment of the company and the business and feeling like they're connected to the purpose Of the business and the direction it's going in. So we call that change oblivious. The next one is change bravado. Now, um, I'm sure you've come across leaders like this. They're fully aware of what is going on, they choose to ignore it and prioritize their own work, which is fine. However, it's not very good role modeling to their team. Let's be honest, it takes an absolute village to implement and sustain positive change. So when you are acting in this uh, manner, what it's saying to your team is that you don't care and they shouldn't either. So that's change bravado.
1: I love the change bravado. The change oblivious is interesting one. It's kind of ostrich, as you describe it in, in your book, head in the sand. I don't mm-hmm. know what's going on in the organization. I look at the world through a toilet roll and I do my one little tiny job and <laughs> I don't care what's going on with the rest of the organization. Short-sighted, but it, it's hard to hate that because there's a, a kind of a and ignorance to that. But this change bravado Mm. for a change leader, someone who's trying to get stuff done in an organization. And remember, any change leader is trying to help an organization survive into the future. That's where it all starts. This change bravado is an active, willful ignorance. It's saying, I know what's going on. I've heard the message about what you're trying to do, and I might even understand it. But My job today, what I do right now is way more important than that. And that type of behavior can leak into not only affecting the vibe that's going on around the place because followers will follow, but it's also kind of actively sabotaging it. It's a very frustrating state of mind for change managers. And we'll talk about how to deal with that later. But for now in the conversation, I just want to draw out these different types of States that we go through as humans during change. And by the way, they're not all negative. There's some really positive ones coming our way. So that's the status quo zone. Mm -hmm. I want things to stay the same. Before we move on to the overwhelm zone, and I know we could have a series of podcasts on this question I'm I'm about to ask. What's the psychology that exists at that stage? Maybe let's ignore oblivious because some people, you know, are just in their own world. Maybe because they've got a very busy life outside of life. Maybe because they're they're not very professionally ambitious they just want to come and do their work let's forget about that what's the psychology that's going on in the bravado stage the bravado mindset is that someone who is is putting a tough layer on some insecurities or is there something more
0: it is possible the insecurities but i also think it comes back to control you know humans love being in control and if anything We've seen in the pandemic all of this chronic uncertainty has thrown us all for a curveball. So when you are in that change-bravado state, I think it comes down to you wanting to have absolute control over the work that you do and the influence you have. And sometimes uh, when business transformation is taking place, People suddenly don't feel like they have the same level of power in that, so they might not be asked to contribute, or if they are, their opinion might not be the most valuable one in the room, and that can be very damaging to people who have high egos.
1: Is it a case where someone has kind of eked out a value for themselves in an organization as it currently is? It gives them some confidence. It gives them a level of self-worth. They have, as I say, a currency in the way things are. So because they don't fully understand where things are going, they just know it's going to be different. They're thinking, geez, I might lose some of my power here. I might lose some of that currency. So whatever it is, whatever benevolent intentions this change has, I'm going to fight Mm -hmm. it because I like things how they are because I'm important.
0: Well, it's often said that Resistance is sometimes a cry for help. It is showing that you are passionate in some format and that you want to be recognized and heard and have an opinion. And it just depends on who is around to facilitate that as to which direction, you know, that tone is.
1: So I think perhaps I perhaps in my ignorance – sorry, I'll cut you off then. There was a little break in the mm. in the line – In my ignorance, I might have leaked our conversation a little bit into the next phase. So let's talk about the next phase. The zone is called the overwhelm zone. Tell us about the two behaviors that exist within the overwhelm zone.
0: So uh, the first one is change anxiety. So this is very common right now. This is where people are feeling completely anxious and overwhelmed. They have a lot of content and data coming at them. But often it is quite high level. And so what happens is from a brain perspective, your brain automatically goes into filling the gaps of the unknowns and it keeps constantly asking questions and running through what-if scenarios. And by default, the brain is, it has a very high negativity bias. So it's always looking out for you and keeping you safe. So it goes to the depths of Destruction and it really worries what happens to my job? Am I going to be made redundant, etc.? So, the change anxiety one means that you have information, but not enough, and something in you is holding back. You might not have the right connections in the business, you might not have trust with your boss, but what it means is that you need to find more information to calm your nervous system down in that state.
1: It reminds me of the Homo erectus, the first apes to climb out of the trees and walk upright. If they heard a rustling in the bushes behind them, they were programmed to think, hey, that probably isn't a lion. But if it is a lion, I'm in big trouble here. So I'm going to think it is a lion. And that's where that deep mm. human psychology comes from. You know, this change anxiety, as someone who works in the profession, I have a lot of sympathy for people who sit in this because to me, what I see is it's not necessarily like the bravado, or hey, get out of here. I know what I'm doing. You can't change my world. I'm the boss of this place. It says, I, I, you know, I kind of get what you're trying to do, but it scares the hell out of me because I don't know if I'm going to have any value in that future. I don't know if I'm going to be able to learn that new system that you're implementing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to take on this new level of knowledge that you need me to have to do my job in this changed place. And these are people, again, these are human beings who go home to a family who relies on them for their income. These are people who, like most of us, have some kind of debt, whether it's a mortgage or whatever it might be. People who don't feel as though if this doesn't go well for them, they have all the options in the world. I I have a deep sense of, of sympathy or empathy towards people who are in a, a change, anxiety. And, and I guess- this is where a good change manager can really earn their money in an organization.
0: I do too. I mean, it is all about compassion and empathy. And um, you might've noticed the section in the book where we reference the sensation or the um, mental game, feeling like you're in a prison. And we referred to that concept that you mentioned, the golden handcuffs, where people these days, they have a lot riding on their job. It's all about trying to maintain job stability at the moment and there's that overwhelming sense of uncertainty yet wanting to do the best. I truly believe people go into work to contribute, to make a difference, to do a great job, to serve their clients and to be a part, to belong to that company. So when I hear that individuals and teams are in that change anxiety state, it is a real concern for me and I completely agree with you about that empathy side there.
1: Tell us about the second one that exists in the overwhelm zone.
0: Sure. So this is the most common one that we hear, and it's change resistance. Definitely during my time working with clients as a change manager, it seemed quite antiquated, but you'd be sitting in uh, leadership alignment meetings, and it would all be about who's resistant, who's on board. And it was a very binary conversation. You're either in, you're either out.
1: You're with us or against us, George Bush style.
0: Exactly. And I think change resistance is an amazing opportunity because you don't want people to be quiet when they contribute, even when it's in that frustrated or that resistant manner, that anger, that aggression, any form of emotion, any form of data is what you can start to dissect and deep dive in and have those one-on-one conversations and really help that person to get to the next stage. So I'm a big fan when people are change-resistant. It puts us to do some great work. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation.
1: Hey, do you think that in simple conversations in organisations, we kind of bundle all of the ones that we've talked about so far, oblivious, bravado, anxious and resistant, we tend from language point of view to bundle them all in the category of change resistant.
0: Yes, that's definitely been my experience. And I think I should also mention so this book has been really written for the tone as an individual reading the book and looking at it from their own personal experience. So I have not written this book for the benefits of cultural change at the top. I'm not looking for leaders to come in and read this to think I'm going to radically change the business. I want to start one mindset at a time. So it is a very personal journey and you will notice that I am quite empathetic to each of those positions.
1: You know what? You nailed that purpose because I began reading your book from the point of view of a leadership podcaster and a, a change manager in an organization. But what I found myself doing was Asking myself questions about how I deal with change, and I don't do that very often, I guess, because I spend a lot of time thinking about how organisations are managing change in big chunks. So it, it had it really did have that effect. All right, let's get to the good stuff now. The fourth zone is the growth zone, and there's the the headline act the the people that we're really trying to target in change agendas. There's the people. We're really trying to shift everyone towards this place. Tell us about number five.
0: So we know that when you're in the status quo zone that you're very comfortable. When you transition into the growth zone, it's very much about stretching to a level of discomfort where you can still make an impact. So some people really rise to the occasion and for others there's a little bit more stretch and struggle. But what we find is that when you're surrounded by a really supportive environment, and that would include high levels of psychological safety, individuals do rise to the occasion. And we know that individuals are very, what we call, change capable. So this is where they themselves come into work. They're committed to contributing to the change agenda, and they are what I call resilient, ready, and resourceful. and This is really the antithesis to feeling overloaded, overwhelmed, and over it.
1: I've nothing to add. I can't explain it any better than that in the time that we have, but I want to ask a parallel question. When you talk about people who are change-capable, you talk about them embracing a challenge, having a a learning or a growth mindset, thinking, yeah, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know what this is that you're taking me towards as an organization, but I'm willing to come, I'm willing to learn, I'm up for the challenge. It makes me think, and and the opposite is true for some of the other behaviors we've talked about. It makes me think that what we're talking about there are people who are good at change generally, just in life, people who are good at taking on new challenges, people who are resilient, can bounce back from things, People who have a positive outlook on the stuff that happens not just at work, but in life in general. People who probably have you know more healthy relationships in their life than they have unhealthy ones. How much of everything that we're talking about here within these change states and the, the different human states, how much of it is just people as they are and their personalities and the makeup of all the different bits of them?
0: I felt like this question was heading down that nature versus nurture route. So I'm glad you asked it, David. I think, as I said, it really depends on the environment that you're in. So you can be naturally optimistic and go into a completely toxic environment and have it stripped away from you. Or you can be the opposite, shy, timid, reserved and go into an environment where they love getting you into rooms with whiteboards and doing ideation and just being highly creative. And that environment is, you know, curious and they love asking questions and the leaders take a back seat and they let everyone shine around them. And that makes an absolute difference. So I think you need to have a blend in your organization of people who have the character traits. And then obviously the culture as well really helps. You do need that blend.
1: So what I'm hearing is that, yeah, there, there are some people who are naturally geared towards being more positive about change, but an organization that is doing change well, doing it thoughtfully and comprehensively can bring anyone on board. It can bring people who might be a little bit naturally scared or resistant or a bit nervous. If it's done well, we can bring those people on board as well. It might just take a bit more. On the flip side of that, change that's done badly can actually even strip away the most optimistic and open-minded of people, their positive qualities, and and turn them into change bravados or anxious or or resistance just because it's done badly. I like that. Good answer. You passed the test, Kira. Now, the next one within the growth zone caught me by surprise. I thought there was going to be more than one really positive one. It's change frustration but it made perfect sense to me. It's, it's not out and out negative, but you know there's certainly some very positive traits to it, but it's the way it plays out within an organizational setting could be a bit destructive. Tell us a bit about change frustration.
0: For us, change frustration really reflects those that are struggling. They're right on board. They understand that there's a lot of change taking place around them. And they have a high level interest in the content and the direction that it's going in. But what's happened is potentially, and we all know that, you know, deployment deadlines get pushed back. And for these individuals working in the business, they might view it as being too slow or too time consuming, and it's impacting their other high quality work. And for them, they're all about- yeah, getting it done. And but they want to contribute, but it's just that it's dragging out and it's using up their energy, their time, their people's time, their clients' time. So it's one of those areas where it's important. You want again, you don't want your staff to be quiet on topics. You want them to be showing some emotion and sharing some sort of feedback that you can drill down into. So change frustration is another one that comes up quite a lot, but I think again, it's it's typically misdiagnosed as resistance
1: when it's not. Yeah, or even, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, Kira, I started my career as a high school English teacher. And when i listen to you talk about change, frustration, I think about those kids in class who get it really quickly. But as a teacher teaching to 30 kids, you've got to kind of aim somewhere towards the middle or even a little bit below the middle in terms of cognitive speed and how quickly kids get concepts because you don't want to leave anyone behind, let alone many people behind. But of course, there's these kids scattered around the classroom. Hey, he's like, I got that, I got that last class, and we're still talking about it. And you're making me practice it again. And those kids, and we all know this in education, they can be turned off as quickly and as easily as kids at the other end of the scale who have no interest in education and, or maybe don't have the cognitive ability to keep up. Those kids that are fast and quick, uh, you know, we've we've got to do more for them and and the world of education in the modern setting is much more attuned to that and is really good at picking up those kids and and creating special programs or at least pieces of work that will keep them entertained. That's a little bit like the challenge that we have leading change within organizations is that, sure, we we want to say and we want to pitch that we're thinking about the individuals, but when you're dealing with organization of thousands of people, you're not pitching to every single individual. and This same problem pops up for change leaders as it does for a high school English teacher. You've got those kids who just want to get on with it. They got it yesterday.
0: Now, we've got a great example of that where, you know, we were leading some change efforts. Let's stay broad on this. We were leading out some change efforts. They involved some new technology or new software, and we got some of the younger employees that were really tech-driven in into one of these rooms and we asked them, which sort of technology are they hearing is most useful in the market? What would they like to see? And they were frothing at the mouth to get involved and to contribute. It was fabulous. But at the other end of the scale, when we're talking about much more senior leaders who've been entrenched in the business for a lot longer, they really have the attitude and they don't want to say it, but they display it, which is, if it's not broken, why do we need to fix it? I've been doing my work this way, in this manner, and delivering it. to clients. So it's that juxtaposition between the generations that we find sometimes with that change frustration. And one solution we had was to ensure that we were then running in parallel to any change or transformation efforts, some innovation efforts. So really important to get those young, enthusiastic minds thinking about how they can contribute to what's to come, what's the excitement, what's cutting edge. And uh, that was a really exciting project to run in parallel.
1: All right. Fantastic. Now, the last zone is the burnout zone, the saddest place in change, the saddest place in your model, but a really important one that we think about and and talk about. Tell us what exists within the burnout zone.
0: Well, we did quickly brush over the change fatigue and then change burnout. So change fatigue, we're all experiencing that now. What's happening is we're experiencing a huge amount of change coming at it. So whether it's understanding that There is structural change in the organization. Your role is changing. You need to learn new software. Working from home is one of those changes. And what happens is that level of certainty you're used to is now chronically uncertain and your confidence starts to lag and your cognitive overload absolutely peaks. So all of that influences that change fatigue state. And again, we know when teams are change fatigued, you see it, you hear it but most people ignore it or they brush it under the carpet because it's like Pandora's box. They don't want to open it up. They don't want to listen to people's problems. However, if you do dismiss it, what happens is the speed at which someone will drift from the change fatigue into change burnout can happen incredibly rapidly, but you don't know. It's a very independent thing from each individual what your bandwidth is and how far that elastic band will stretch before it snaps. So there was some research in the book by um, a lady called Dr. Puello, and she looked at some PhD research around the correlation between change management and trauma. And what she found was that people who are on the receiving end of change are at risk of burning out within six months, and people who are on the leading side of change, are at risk of burning out in as little as two years. Now, those numbers, six months and two years, might not sound too bad, but when you dive into her research further, what she goes on to say is that it's actually the recovery from burnout that's the risk to the organisation. It's up to two years. That means some of your best employees, your brightest sparks, the people that have the great relationships with the clients. The people that contribute the best ideas, that rally the team to improve culture internally, they go through that cycle. They change fatigue, presenteeism shows up, absenteeism shows up, and then eventual exiting of the industry. So I'm really passionate about making sure we realize how bad things can get so that we don't let them get that bad.
1: So an organization that is determined to transform the way they deliver their services or Uh, the way they engage with their customers or the products that they produce, the technology that they use, whatever it might be, or a combination of all of those things, is punching out a determined transformation project because they want to survive in a competitive market. But they're staring at a workforce who used to be on board, they were change capable, but it just went on and on and the change became too much and they went from fatigued, they're at risk of burnout what do you do as the CEO? You see a cliff that presents a a time where your company will be no longer competitive in the market because you're not changing quickly enough, but you look at your workforce who with all good intentions has been on the, the bus, but they're just getting towards being burnt out. What do you do, CEO Kira?
0: Well, firstly, I'd be making sure everyone was reading the book because I don't think it is the responsibility of one person. (laughs) Sell more
1: copies of your book.
0: (laughs) I don't think it's the responsibility of one person. The responsibility of the CEO in these times is to keep the business afloat. Okay, so they need to remain competitive. They need to ensure that the jobs of their team are there. So whatever's happening, they have to keep driving those deadlines for business transformation. However... What can change is that individuals can start being accountable for what's to come. They can start learning to brace for impact. And what that means is they need to fully understand how bad things can get, where they are on the current spectrum, and what are the small increments or the small practices that they as an individual can do to ensure that their change fit moving forward.
1: All right. You've just given us a fantastic insight into the the full spectrum of responses that individuals can give through a, a change agenda. Super enlightening for me. Let's spend a little bit of time, and we're quickly running out of time, but let's spend a, enough time thinking about these six R's because they're the response. They're the the individual's ability to take control of their own destiny within a, a change agenda. Talk us through the, the six R's and what they mean and what an individual can actually do?
0: Sure. So the first pillar that we talk about is called Realize Your Reality. And really, we've spent the first half of the podcast talking about that. It's about pinpointing which human change state you're playing in and which one you would like to play in, which we all know is that change-capable state. So it's that conscious awareness to ensure that you're motivated to move in a different direction. You know, action is what we're looking for. But until you understand where you are, you won't be able to shift forward. So that's really important. In that first pillar, realize your reality. Then what happens is we move into the second one, which is called respond by your capability. Now, this is really where we talk about that accountability piece, which I just touched on, and how we know that the pace of change is only going to be speeding up. Or another way of putting that is the pace of change will never be as slow as it is today. So once you let that sink into your mind and you let the reality of that hit you, you realize that everybody's job is replaceable. You may as well go to work and enjoy it and make an impact and really love what you do and contribute and contribute to those around you. So you need to start harnessing your own behaviors.
1: I was just about to make a tiny little comment. Is is that the kind of place where I get comfortable with the idea that that change is the constant? A terrible cliche, but- a cliche for the reason. I I just kind of accept that hey, if I'm gonna be part of this organization or any organization in the modern world in 2020 or 2021, then I have to accept that there will be change. Change will continue to come my way. I just have to get get okay with that. Is it as simple as that?
0: It is, except for that I don't like the expression change is a constant. I like to flip it. You are the constant. You know, everything around you in your life is going to continue to change. That's true but the only thing you have true control over is yourself and your response to change. So that chapter is less about the reality that change is taking place around you and more about you being the constant and you doing what you can. So getting rid of those bad behaviours and starting to go deep on things like self-awareness and self-accountability and self-mobilisation. So that's a really great chapter, that chapter two. And then we move into the third pillar, which is called reclaim your brain. So the most important thing here is I completely recognize that if you're someone who is overwhelmed, your brain is fried, the last thing you want is a lecture about stress management. So what I've done here and throughout the book is made sure that I'm balancing science with storytelling, because it's really important to make sure that you know, you understand that the foundation of everything you do is all about having optimal brain health. And that's where we've started seeing the benefits of neuroscience uh, crossing over with psychology. So that chapter is all about understanding stress, overwhelm, and talking about just some basic coping strategies to help diffuse anxiety.
1: You're doing brilliantly. And that's why I'm just going to let you roll through it because without me interrupting you, you are getting so much brilliant content out in the time we have remaining. So you keep going, Kira.
0: Excellent. So the fourth pillar is all about uh, regenerate your body. Now, most people think this is about me promoting more exercise. That is the biggest myth that the fitness industry has told corporate organizations. Yes, it's a very small piece of the puzzle. But what this book really highlights is that we're all experiencing some form of trauma, particularly emotional trauma in the workplace. Now, this really results when you feel unaware, unprepared, and completely powerless what's taking place around you. So this chapter here, we go into some really interesting science around the polyvagal theory, which is all around making sure that you are seeking safety and connection as opposed to feeling completely shut down and immobilised. And this is really the foundation for psychological safety in the workplace, but I'm really approaching it from that individual perspective, recognising what it feels like within yourself and in the environment around you and what you can do to combat.
1: Good. Keep going, Kira. We're up to number five, recode your bo- your mind. Before we get there, let me just remind you of the first four Realize your reality, respond via your capability, reclaim your brain, regenerate your body, and number five is recode your mind. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, there's some great science. Dr. Joe Dispenza is quoted as saying that 95% of who we are by the age of 35 years old is really reflective of those pre-programmed behaviors that we might have learned from our upbringing from our community, from our education, and then, of course, from the workforce. So what that means is even when we're taught new things or we're trying to understand new behaviours, new processes at work, we are naturally going to go back to automatic pilot and default to old ways. So this one is all about understanding the role that biases play in our mind, the role that emotions play, and also there is a small section there on self-worth because A lot of the time when people are feeling overwhelmed and stressed, they're incredibly tough on themselves, and they forget that they actually are capable of so much, and they don't need to harshly judge themselves. They need to back themselves, tell themselves that they've got this, and that if they don't, they can seek some support to keep moving forward.
1: And lucky last, number six, is reimagine your creativity. You know, creativity, we've done a number of podcasts about creativity, even that word makes people nervous because most people think they're not creative. So convince me that I shouldn't be nervous about this one.
0: Well, really, again, this is this whole premise that we're trying to take the reader on a journey. So we're recognizing how completely burnt out they are, but how brilliant they are underneath all of that. And we want them to rise from the ashes. And part of this is reminding yourself how creative you are. It's all about imagination activation, and it's all about preparing yourself as the brilliant creative being that you are, and not relying on all of these co-creation sessions with whiteboards. You can do all of this individually. And actually, imagine what a workforce would be like if every single individual had that spark within before they walked through the doors at work. It would just be amazing. So this one is all about building confidence and giving you lots of different tips and tricks to try and spark that creativity and see what works for you. Because what we know is that we're all individuals. We all approach things differently and it is completely about testing and learning and having a go.
1: Kira, I love the way you've structured all of that. It it makes so much sense. It, It gives me a lot of motivation. It gives me a lot of hope that individuals can really think about themselves and the role that they're playing themselves in organizational change and and most importantly how they can be part of it how it can fulfill them and give them a future not just ongoing employment but a sustainable growth mindset future i find that brilliant now i know your book isn't aimed at change leaders it's aimed at at individuals who are part of a transformation But in your experience, and this is the last question I'll ask you, in your experience, what separates good change leaders, leaders in an organisation who are leading a change from ones who are not so good, those who are not effective, those who have with them a lot of people who fit in the oblivious, bravado, anxious and resistance phase? What separates the good from the bad?
0: I'm probably going to say the three Cs. You know, they're compassionate. They take the time to listen And they take the time to act upon that. So they have great relationships internally. And that second one is really about connection. So they're good at bringing people together. They're good at relying on their team to come up with the next steps and not being so controlling. It's all about showcasing that authentic leadership and giving people the opportunity to contribute. And then I guess they really value their staff and and they believe that their staff are the answer to the missing link, which is everybody's trying to get a piece of the innovation puzzle. So traditionally what we see is that people call in the consultants and there's nothing wrong with that, but the consultants come and go. It is your employees or your individuals that are there that really are going to drive that forward and make it sustainable. So I think leaders recognise that and they create these centres of brilliance that allow them to start working on ideas and sharing them more broadly across the business and with clients.
1: Kira Lancaster, I really appreciate your insight, the way you talk about the concept of change. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
0: I've had a great time. Thanks for having me.
1: And that was Kira Lancaster. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with another change leadership nufty. And I loved her description of the four zones, status quo, overwhelm, growth, and burnout. Anyone who's experienced change programs within an organization recognizes them. And as always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Kira on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalog of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theories and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.